Greetings, Team Ajulam. Karibuni sana tena. We are now on our third episode of a series that we started called Faith in the Prison. And the thing is about this series is that this is a series where we're looking at how we're able to maintain our faith even in the difficult seasons of our lives. And the reason why we're doing this uh, and how we're doing this is that we've we started by looking at different characters in the Bible who sustained their faith even in the midst of very difficult seasons, right? And in the first episode, we looked at the story of Joseph and we learned that in his story, that even in the difficult times, God's favor never leaves us, right? We talked about the difference, that, that we talked about palace favor and prison favor and the fact that whether it's palace or prison, it's still favor nonetheless. That the same favor that he had in the very beginning in his life all the way to be able to go into Potiphar's house and, and have favor there, all the way to getting into the prison and the favor that he experienced there, all the way to the point where he gets into the palace and becomes prime minister, that all that's there, that favor was just favor, nonetheless, whether it was in the palace or the prison, right? It was favor nonetheless. Now, another thing that we learned is that God gives us strength when we are weary. That he knows that it is difficult being patient. He knows that it is difficult waiting on him. Right? Waiting will make us weary. This is why he gives us supernatural strength to endure while we are being molded, shaped, and prepared for what he has in store for us. It's God's goal. In fact, this is a thing that we're going to cover extensively um, uh, next week. But the, it, it is God's goal to conform us to the image of Christ. That what has happened for us when we came to faith in Christ Jesus is that his life through the Holy Spirit came inside of us. And the whole thing is about us. Like it says, we have been crucified with Christ, that we no longer live, but Christ lives within us. Right? That the life we now live, we live by faith in him who died for us and gave himself for us. The whole point is this, is that the whole goal is for us to be like Jesus Christ. That is the goal. Everything comes to make us like Christ. It's like we're in a boot camp where the work is strenuous, but it is for a reason. And so the wilderness is a necessary process for where God wants to take you and what God wants to do inside of you and to reveal within you. And because it's designed, he also provides the strength that you need to endure it, right? So go to him for strength. And that's what we talked about last week, then, uh, no, in the first, the first week. And then last week we talked, um, we talked about David, we looked at David, and we learned that in spite of whatever season we are in, that we are chosen, that we are anointed, and that we are blessed. Right? We are chosen, we are anointed, and we are blessed. Right? And we also learned that praise is something that we purpose to do in whatever season of life we are in. That praise is a thing that we purpose to do. It's not just out of the joy of our hearts that we praise. Praise is a thing that we purpose to do, that we teach our tongues to do. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall forever be on my lips. This is something that we purpose to do. It is a covenant that we have with our mouths to praise God in spite of the season, right? And you know, the thing, one thing that has been a, a reflection of mine, and, and we're going to look at more closely today, is that even in this story of David, he was anointed king when he was 15 years old. He was 15 years old when he was anointed king. About 15 years old, that's how old he was, approximately. And he wasn't crowned king until he was 30 years old. 
And so during his difficult season running away from Saul, he was still an anointed king. The crown had not been placed on his head. The manifestation had not happened. But at that point in time when he was 15 years old and he was anointed king, it was at that point in time that he became the anointed king of Israel. And it was only a matter of time. Right? He did not become king when he was 30. He became king when he was 15 years old. Which even reminds me, it's the same thing that happened with Joseph. That the same vision that he received when he was a young man. At that point in time, the story had already been set. The narrative of who he was was already set. And it was only that it would take some time for that manifestation to happen. Of what it is that had happened much earlier. Same thing with David as well. And the thing is, is that your difficulties do not change who God says that you are. David, even while hiding in the caves, was still king, right? The manifestation of his identity did not come until many years later, but though it wasn't manifest, it did not change who he was. And on that note, today, this is what I want us to look at. This is what I want us to be able to study even more closely. That whatever season you are in, it does not change who God says you are. And the unfortunate thing is this, is that for many times, when we especially go through difficult seasons, it changes a lot of times how we see ourselves because of the season that we are in. And what I want us to do is that I want us to look at a story, not really a story, but one of the letters of Paul where he's speaking to the Romans. And Paul, who was someone who was not, if you read the story of Paul, this guy was a uh, this guy really suffered for the faith. Right? And Jesus says it. Jesus actually says that I will show this guy how much he must suffer for my name. And so Paul was someone who was very familiar with difficulty. Familiar with difficulty. But the key thing that we get to and we'll see and we'll realize is that these difficulties did not define who he was, his definition of who he was, came from what God says, not from what was happening around his life. And that's the thing that I want us to talk about today, because a lot of times, the, the, and, the, and this is the tragedy of difficult seasons, is that it makes us lose sight of who we are. What oftentimes when we go through, what happens oftentimes when we go through difficult seasons in our lives is that sometimes we lose our confidence. Sometimes we lose our self-confidence and we lose sight of who we are, right? And I want us to address this today, how your identity in Christ is the one thing, the one thing that you must never lose sight of in spite of whatever season you are in. Because that is where your power lies. And I want us to read from Romans 8, from verse 18 to 39. Allow me to read where Paul says to the Romans, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. 
Not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. What hopes? Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not have, we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. In the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. We do not know what we ought to pray, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through word, wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. For those God for those. God foreknew he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Whoo! Hallelujah! Now the thing is, is that Paul in this letter is writing to the Christians in Rome, who at the time were experiencing relative peace in Rome. The thing that's amazing is that this is literally just about seven years before the literally the most incredible persecution happens in Rome against Christians. This was about seven years. And so when he says, I consider our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that would be revealed in us. These guys who were probably reading this letter had no idea the intense suffering that they were about to experience seven years later. And I'm sure when they were reading this, they were probably thinking of the suffering in terms of, you know, the, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the Jewish leaders, you know, how they were persecuting them. And, and so they're probably thinking from persecution from that perspective, right? You know, the persecutions of life. Not realizing that literally in seven years, would be the most incredible and intense persecution against the Christians in Rome. Seven years after this letter, Rome goes up in flames and Nero, who was the emperor at the time, decides to blame it on Christians. And what happened after that, because he decided that they were going to be his scapegoat, is there was the most intense persecution by the Roman state. Many Christians were burnt alive. 
Some were crucified. Others were used as game meat in Colosseums. It was terrible, terrible persecution that was happening against believers. And so this letter comes before this very dark time. And it is a letter where Paul is setting the foundation of sound theology regarding who Jesus was and what he had accomplished for us. And so this, the, at this point in time, Paul has not even met these Roman Christians yet. He hasn't traveled to Rome to meet these Christians yet. Right now he's in Corinth. And when he's writing this letter, it was, it was such a, it's, you know, the, the book of Romans is such a great theology. Like, like if, if you want to be able to set the foundation of, of, of Christian theology, the book of Romans is the book to look at. Right? They are the guys who you go and you say, hey, Appa, this is, this is the foundation of our faith. And it is such a straightforward explanation of the faith that we have believed in. And the thing is that this letter was a reminder from Paul to these believers that they ought to keep their eyes fixed on Jesus. Right? That Jesus is the epicenter of their faith. That he is the hope that they ought to have in being able to live a righteous life he is the hope that they have in being able to experience newness and eternal life. He is the hope and the only hope. Right? And so the thing is in that the scripture we just read, he tells them a couple of things. And in essence, basically, this is what you know, he's saying to them and to us. Right? That number one, that our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us. Second thing he says to them, that the Holy Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. And then after that, he tells them, and he wants us to know that not only does the Holy Spirit help us, help us in our weaknesses, that we are chosen, that we have been chosen by God, that we, don't, we haven't chosen him, that God has chosen us. And number four, we see that the goal of God is to cause us to be like Christ. This is the goal. This is the ultimate goal, that he wants us to be like Christ. And number five, he tells us that nothing can separate us from Christ's love. Not a single thing. And he lists down all these things just like, even angels, things in heaven, on earth. What will separate? Nothing can separate us from Christ's love. And the thing is that each of these things that, he's, um, that I've just mentioned is literally a whole sermon on its own. I can do a whole sermon here on each of these five things here that I've mentioned. Right? But the thing is, one of the things that we see here, and, and this is something that I mentioned last week, that there's no suffering that is in vain, right? Because in, like it says here, in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, right? And the thing is, we see here, this, that's why this can be a whole sermon, because you see, in terms of the, our present sufferings are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, right? Literally every point here is a sermon. Right? God works all things for the good of those who love him. There is no suffering that is in vain. When he talks about here that, 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 that we are chosen, right? that we have been chosen to be like Christ. He is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters. And the goal is for us to be like our big bro. Right? And so what we see from this portion of scripture is that God through Christ Jesus has transformed us into a new creation. That we have been transformed into a new, a new creation. Right? You have been crucified with Christ. You no longer live, but Christ lives in you. The life you now live, you live by faith in him. You are now a new creation. You are now a completely new creature. Right? 
having said all this, having said all this, this is where I really want to dwell on is in regards to this very perspective. That you have been transformed into a new creation. The old is gone, the new things have come. Right? You have been transformed into a new creation. You are a new creation. And the reason why I want us to dwell here is because oftentimes what happens, like I said, especially during difficult seasons in our lives, is we forget who we are. We forget who we are and begin to declare what we are not. And the reason why we declare what we are not is because the things that are happening around us begin to affect what is happening inside of us. Right? And what happens is that most times during, during difficult seasons is that we lose our confidence. We lose our sense of self. We forget about who we are in Christ and instead begin, begin to reinforce false narratives that are built through the struggles that we are experiencing. And worse still, it is especially in the tough times, it is especially in the difficult seasons, where the enemy comes to tempt us to confess an identity that does not belong to us. The enemy's agenda is to steal from you your identity. Because once you forget who you are, then you become ineffective. Once you forget what it is that Christ has done for you, then you become ineffective. The Bible says that we have been given the right to become his children. The right. And the thing is, a right is something that you exercise. That's the reason why when you go to the court, you go to the court not because you're like, Ati, I feel like, I feel like Nini, this guy has been mean to me. I feel like this guy has done, done me wrong. No, that's not how a courtroom works. The reason why you go to the courtroom is because a right that you have has been violated. And you are going to the court to say that this person has violated my right. And that's the thing that you go and you stand on. It's not just vibes. And what happens is, is that many times, is that when you do not know who you are in Christ, the enemy will come and violate your rights time and time again. To violate your rights and you'll allow him to because you lose sight of who you are and that's the thing about difficult seasons is that it it causes us because of what's happening around us to lose sight of who we are in christ in matthew 3 we see this event where jesus is baptized by john the baptist and what happens immediately he comes out of the water three things happen one the heavens are open to him Two, the Holy Spirit descends upon him like a dove. And three, a voice from heaven says, This is my beloved son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. So the thing is, is that soon after, soon after this, so immediately after this happens, where literally a voice from heaven, where the, God the Father is affirming his son before Jesus has begun his ministry, before he's begun anything, he's just been baptized, where he says, this is my beloved son, whom I love. In him, I am well pleased. 
This is an affirmation that is coming from the father to his son. Where he is affirming to him his identity. He is affirming to him his love. And he is affirming to him his approval. Before he's done anything. You are my son. I love you. And I'm so pleased with you. Before he's done anything. And soon after this, it says in chapter 4, that Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted. And what happens is that Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And it is at this point when he was at his weakest that the enemy comes. He didn't come in the beginning. He came when he was at his weakest. And notice how the enemy comes to him. Notice what he says to Jesus. He comes to Jesus at his weakest. And he's like, if you're the son of God. Turn, so you turn these this, this stones into bread. If you're the son of God. And remember that in literally just the previous chapter, Matthew 3, what we see is the father doing, affirming his son, saying that this is my son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. The father literally in, 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 in Matthew 3 is affirming his sonship. Is literally speaking to him about how he's just like, man, I love you. And I'm pleased with you. But look at what the enemy does. That at his weakest point, what does the enemy come for? The enemy comes for that very identity that God the Father had just affirmed to his son. If you are the son of God. And this is the thing, when you are in a difficult season, this is what the enemy comes for. Your identity. If you are the child of God, why are you suffering? If you're the child of God, why is this happening to you? If you're the child of God, why are you broke? If you're the child of God, why are you in debt? If you're the child of God, why are you sick? If you're the child of God, why is this relationship not working? If you're the... And oftentimes, these doubts will oftentimes come when you're at your weakest point. And the reason why the enemy comes for your identity is because that is where your power lies. The thing you need to understand is that the wilderness is there to actually usher you into your identity. But it is also the place where the enemy comes to cause you to question it. And consequently, consequently lose sight of it. He wants you to lose sight of who you are in Christ. The prison season or the wilderness season will either make you bitter or it will make you better. And how the enemy wins is that when he causes you to lose sight of who you are in Christ, then what happens is you begin to confess what is contrary to who God says we are. We begin to speak negatively over ourselves and our lives. We begin to carry an attitude of defeat. We lose the zeal of our faith and become complacent and timid and in fact begin to neglect the faith. We begin to being like, ah, in fact, this, I don't even read this Bible, it didn't work. 
Why? Because we have lost sight of who we are in Christ. And so this season, this season that is supposed to come and make us better, ends up making us bitter. As the enemy whispers lies into your ear, causing you to question the very identity that Jesus Christ died and rose again so that you could have. The thing that we see in terms of how Jesus responded to every single thing that the enemy came to bring at him wasn't just, ah, just leave me, leave me alone. No, Jesus responded with, it is written. He does not engage with the reality that is in front of him. Instead, he confesses what is written. Friends, in the scripture we read earlier from Paul, it says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Not we become, not we are going to be, not this is the goal of we are, meaning that when here he says trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword, he is saying that none of those things make you anything. The thing that we are is more than conquerors. Not will become more or we are working towards or we will be made into conquerors. We are more than conquerors. Are. Who are you in Christ Jesus? You are more than a conqueror. You know, what this, this, this reminds me of the story of uh, Gideon in Judges 6, where the angel of the Lord comes and tells Gideon, who at the time was hiding, and the reason why he was hiding is because he was fearful and they were experiencing great persecution because of the Midianites. And this is why he's hiding. And this angel of the Lord comes to Gideon and he's like, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon is looking at this guy just being like, eh? who, who are you talking about? Who are you talking about? Because me, I'm, I'm, I'm hiding. But here is this, this declaration of mighty, mighty warrior. Mighty who? Because at that point in time, this was not a reality that was mentally available to him because his suffering had given him a different identity. In his suffering, he was a nobody. In his suffering, he was a guy who was hiding in his, in, his, in, his, in his tribulation, him, he's not only just the least in his community, he was even the least in his family. And then here is this guy calling him mighty warrior. Something that his reality in no way affirmed this, but this is what God said about him. Mighty warrior. And so today, the question that I want to ask you who is watching is, who are you in Christ Jesus? Because that identity is the very thing where your power lies. 
And it's in that very place that the enemy comes to take away from you, especially in difficult seasons. The wilderness season is an opportunity to affirm your identity or to replace it with something else, to replace it with, ah, you know, things are not even, you know, nowadays, I, you know, I'm me, you know, things have just been so this, and you begin to start confessing everything that is your reality at that very moment, rather than affirming the identity with which Jesus Christ died and rose again that you could have. This series is called Faith in the Prison because that is what we are doing, having faith in the difficult seasons of our lives. And the thing that I want us to do today is that I want us to get into agreement with what God says about who we are. Not what we are becoming, not what it is that we are going to be, but who we are. Because who we are is where our power lies. And who we are is not anchored in the season we are in. It is anchored in what Jesus Christ says. It is written about who we are. It is written that we are more than conquerors. It is written that we are the head and not the tail. It is written that we are highly favored. It is written that we are blessed. It is written that we are righteous, that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. It is written that we are holy, that we have been made holy through the precious blood of the Lamb. It is written that we are forgiven. It is written that we are loved. It is written that we are chosen. It is written that we are seated with Christ in heavenly places. It is written that we are God's beloved children that we are his children. It is written that we are the light of the world, that we are a city on a hill. Not we become, not we are becoming, not we are going to be. We are a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Friends, this is how we live out this every single day with great intention. I want you to go and write these things down and even add more affirmations here of what it is that it is written about who we are in Christ Jesus. Begin to add to even my list, the list of the things that I've just mentioned today. Because in these things, in this, in what is written is where your strength lies. The affirmation of our Father is written. And it is where your power lies. It is who you are. Your season does not define who you are. Your family does not define who you are. Your upbringing does not define who you are. Your friends or the things and the situations that have happened in your life do not define who you are. In Christ Jesus, who died and rose again, he died because he was coming to make you into a new creation. And he says, this is who you are. And so what we are doing is what we are then called to do is then to begin to manifest that which we are, not that which we are not. What we have been called into, who we are, 
And it is in these moments and especially in the difficult seasons where we must affirm our identity in Christ Jesus. The gift that we have been given. That we are his children. That we are loved. And that he approves of us even before we've done anything. I want us to daily get into agreement with what God says about us, daily. Faith comes by hearing, and not just by hearing, but by hearing by the word of the Lord. I want you to immerse yourself in the identity that Christ came, lived, suffered, and resurrected for you to have. This is not an achieved identity. It is one that has been purchased by his blood and freely given to you through faith in Jesus Christ. He died so that you could become like him. And the difficult seasons are there to reinforce this identity. Those seasons are there so that you can decrease, so that he can increase, so that he can be the one that manifests himself, the identity that he has put inside of you that it would become manifest. You are the light of the world. You are a city on a hill. So meaning, when you're trying to hide there, thinking that you're not a light, <laughs> the light thinking it's not a light, you're a light. You are a city on a hill. To become like Christ is the objective. Your season does not define you. Whether it's a palace season or a prison season, whether it's in the blessing or it's in a difficult season, whatever season you are in, it does not define you. It does not change who you are. It cannot change who you are in Christ Jesus. You are more than a conqueror. You are more than a conqueror. If you remember what I mentioned previously earlier when you looked at the story of David, that at the time when the guy was anointed when he was 15 years old, and at the point where now the crown was put on his head, the literal crown, for him to become king. That point from the anointing and the crowning, he was still king. It didn't change who he was. The difficult seasons, he was being chased by Saul, all those things that were happening, did not change the fact that he was king. My friends, Tough seasons do not change your identity. Those seasons are there to reveal Christ in you, the hope of glory. Amen? And so I want every single one who's listening, I want you every day, every day, write those things down. Write down what it is that Jesus Christ died for and resurrected the identity that he died to give you, where he says, you are a child of God. You are more than a conqueror. And I want you to write these things down. And I want you to remind yourself every morning about who you are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much because you are the God who died for us and rose again to give us a new identity, to make us like Christ. You have made us into a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new.
Father, I pray in Jesus' holy name that you would awaken us to our identity. That you would awaken us to who we are. That we would live in it. That we would thrive in it. That we would live in your words of affirmation of who you have made us in Christ Jesus. I pray for every single person that you would damn the voice of the enemy whispering doubts and instead you would strengthen the voice of your Holy Spirit showing us who we are in Christ Jesus. We thank you. We honor you. We lift you up. For it's in Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen and amen. Hey guys, thank you so much for watching. Listen, if this message blessed you, please be sure to share it with someone whom you love. Share it with a friend, a colleague, anyone. And then also, listen, support us. Support this ministry so that we can be able to make more dope content and be able to spread this message of the kingdom to as many people as possible. And then make sure that you subscribe. Sawa, subscribe. Subscribe, wherever the button, subscribe. Subscribe. God bless you guys.